Well, hello! Welcome back to Between the Lines, the podcast. I'm Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. I hope everyone's new year is off to a great start. Mine has been um, above average so far, I'd have to say. Thanks for asking. And I am very excited to get to my first guest on the podcast in 2023. But before we get to that, this is the good news. The good news story this week comes from the great state of Wisconsin. Go Bucky! Where Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers launched a new Housing First program. This program will help people who are experiencing homelessness and struggling with opioid addiction. Way to go, Wisco! Now that was the good news. Let's get to the interview already. So, my guest today is Ken Montrose. Currently, Ken works at the Greenbrier Treatment Center in Pittsburgh. He's been there since 1999, if I uh, read correctly. Uh, These days, he's the Director of Trainings and Publications, and before that, he spent two years as the Director of Clinical Services at Greenbrier. Ken also spent eight years working as an addiction specialist at Western Psychiatric Institute and Clinic, establishing recovery programs for patients suffering from severe mental illnesses. He's a certified alcohol and drug counselor, and he also holds a master's degree in developmental psychology. And Ken has been in recovery from his own addiction since October 2nd of 1988. That's right, 1988. Uh, Ken has um, agreed to uh, come on the, the uh, podcast today to talk a little bit about his experience um, in addiction and recovery and working with addicts uh, and uh, alcoholics as well. Um, and but before we get into that, the last little here's a little tidbit of information about Ken that when he first got sober, he had a blind cat. At the time, he found it ironic that the cat adjusted to her surroundings so much better than he was adjusting to the new circumstances in his life. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Ken. How are you feeling today? I'm good. And thanks for asking me um, on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, and uh, you know, is any chance I get to have some someone with your kind of experience uh, on here, uh, I think it'll be really helpful to me, um, but also to the people who are listening, um, whether it's addicts and alcoholics in recovery, looking to get into recovery, or or people who who know them, which means just about everybody, I would say. Um, so, like I said, the main reason I asked you to come on was to talk about your experience in the treatment side of of addiction. Um, But before we get into that, I'd love to spend a a couple of minutes talking about your experience um, as an addict in recovery. You have been clean and sober now since 1988, uh, which is amazing. Um, You know, I I don't get it. I go go to a lot of meetings and I've been to rehab and, you know, we, you know, we meet people at all different levels of recovery, but someone with, with this many years um, you know, I, I, it's rare we get a chance to talk with them. And so 
I'm excited to talk talk to you about it. Um, and congratulations, <laughs> that's a long time. Uh, but let's look back quickly. So if you give me just the brief um, kind of short story about your relationship with drugs and alcohol before you got sober and then what got you into recovery. No, sure. Um, I um, My grandfather was a um, very much an alcoholic, untreated. And my father decided he wasn't going to be anything like him. And he wasn't. So I think he thought that died out with him. I wish it but worked it skipped, that way. <laughs> doesn't work. It skipped a generation. So um, I can remember him warning me about alcohol, having watched his father. And then the first time I got drunk, I, I just, all that advice went out the window. Just, it was like a key in a lock. Mm -hmm. I loved this stuff from day one. Um, couldn't imagine why you would do something sober if you didn't have to, <laughs> just early on. And um, alcohol gave me special powers. Alcohol took away my anxieties. Um, I, I, I just loved the stuff and until I didn't. Until right. I didn't. And I ended up living alone in an apartment with no furniture, the blind cat. <laughs> um, I got kicked out of my, um, I didn't get kicked out. I drank my way out of my PhD program. Um, no degree, no, nothing to show for three years of work. Um, made an illegal left three o'clock in the morning, hit a county sheriff Ooh. and, um, there was $35,000 in debt. And my first marriage was a month from being over and, um, it just was not a happy place. Um, and that was almost 35 years ago. And life is so much better. Wow. So much better. That's a real, like, uh, an actual rock bottom, almost almost literal rock bottom story. You oh, yeah. hit a sheriff's car, and that was the bottom, and then that was it. That was it. That was enough. Um, and you went. Uh, I, I know I asked you this in the email, but you didn't go to rehab. You just you yeah. went. To, you went right to AA. Yeah, I I called somebody um, I knew in recovery. She sent some people over. They took me to my first AA meeting, and I, I haven't had a drink since. Wow, uh, that is. Um, you know, as you well know, uh, an exception, you know, like sadly, very few of us do, you know, get it on our first try. Uh, and then uh, 35 years later, still talking about how, how great our recovery has been without relapsing or anything. Um, but you're not alone either. I mean, people do it that no, way. And, and I sometimes feel like on the podcast or, or in my book, I, I painted it in a in a way that makes that seem like nobody can do it without relapsing it that's not true I mean, some people really do uh it really catches um in that in that first try um what well, do you let me, let me say this yeah but um I, I tried for a couple of years at least on my own right so yeah i I had a lot of systems that failed before i i found aa <laughs> yes exactly yeah we talk about that a lot on here too that you know, all of us, not all, and I should never say all, but most of us, before we get into recovery, whatever route we take to recovery, uh, tried to do it on our own in a million different ways, right? And like, only these days, or only this kind of alcohol, or uh, I'll just start going to, to see a therapist, or whatever, you know, or I'll move to a new city. Sometimes that's a yeah. geographic change. And, um, that's the point that, that none of that stuff works, which is why we need something else. And for your, in your case, it was AA. Yeah. Um, 
what do you think it is about AA? I mean, this is a maybe a more loaded question, but what worked for you in AA? What was the secret for you? Oh, um, I'd say the two things that jump out at me are gratitude and the slogans. Yeah. Um, I kind of live the slogans. Right. And, so, um, like, give, me, give us an example of one of those one of the slogans that you that you find useful. Um, poor me, poor me, poor me another. <laughs> I'm really cautious about self-pity being a trigger. Yeah. Um, um, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I try not try to do that. Yeah. Um, I'd say my favorite is think, think, think. How mm. does this end up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Play, play the tape forward, right? Play the tape forward. How's this going to end? Yeah, uh, those are great ones. You know, I, I, it's similar to me. I'm glad that you said it, that, you, that those were the first things that came to mind. Because for me... Um, what I've taken from AA, I mean, I love, obviously the steps are important and, um, you know, and I, I've in one way or another, I'm working most of those steps every day, but really there's a few of those things like those slogans or like gratitude that you can just, it just becomes part of everything you do. Yeah. And it's a catchy thing that you just, it's easy to, you know, slogans are slogans for a reason because they're catchy and that's, you know, it's hard to forget stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and they really stick with you. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Um, so I know that, uh, and, and I've talked to a few people on the podcast even who uh, have spent time in AA, who, who credit AA for, for you know, getting them into recovery or, or getting them over some kind of hump or keeping them alive in different times of their life. But um, I've also talked with people who, who have problems with AA. Uh, usually it's people who've never been to a meeting or it's, you know, based on what they've heard about it or seen in the movies or something like that. Um, for example, here's a couple of things that you hear or one of the main things, Oh, it's just some like a, like a cult. Uh, what do you, what do you say to people who say stuff like, or think that AA is like a cult? Um, <laughs> excuse me. I, I'd say it's a really weird one because they don't take your name and you don't <laughs> have to pay anything. And yeah, right you can leave whenever you want yeah and there's no leader yeah <laughs> right yeah. uh and i was like i always think that's a funny thing i think generally it's has to with you know people trying to find a reason not to go usually right um but in that same um on the same kind of on the same hand there there's there's people who talk about who maybe who do start going who haven't and this is was a minor issue for me when i began um, who have an issue with the, the kind of religious part of AA or, or feeling that it is gonna, it's going to be too religious or too Christian um, and, for, and they're not feeling that, that maybe they're atheists as, as I am and as I was when I, when I started with AA or not Christian, they think it's going to be, that's going to be a problem. Um, do, do you have any experience with that or what, what, do you, what would you say to people who are worried about that? Um, I'd say take what you leave, take what you need, and leave the rest. I would all, I'm, I'm also, I'm an old twelve stepper, but I, I, I believe there's alternatives. The, the thing is, no matter what route you go, are you putting effort into it? Right. You know, if, if you say you don't like AA because of the religious aspect, okay, go somewhere, you know, secular, but put the effort into that, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. There's many other, and there's other routes now too. Um, and also I'll, I'll say to those 
to, to those people. You know, I'm an atheist uh, um, and I was worried about that. I had, I had the wrong idea about AA. Although some of the meetings that I've been to do make, I do feel uncomfortable as an atheist, but there's other meetings. I'm lucky enough to live in a big city where there's a meeting in every block basically. Um, and if you live in a place like that, just keep trying other meetings. Uh, you'll find one that, uh, that, that doesn't have that same feeling. Um, and there certainly isn't, you don't have to believe in a Christian God or anything to, to, to work the steps. Um, I've, I've done that and feel, feel comfortable, um, doing it. And I've certainly have appreciated, uh, AA for me. Um, all right. Well, thank you for that, Ken. I would like to, uh, now get into the weeds a little bit about your experience, um, working with other, other addicts and alcoholics on the treatment side. Um, oh, okay. So first of all, tell me about your 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 current role. It's a, you're the director of training and publications there. What what is that? What do you do? And uh, tell me about that role. Oh, okay. Um, I go out and train addictions counselors, social workers, nurses, um, just anybody who works in this field on mental health issues, drug and alcohol. Um, I do a course on ethics, and then I'm also responsible for um, publications that we use. I think I have like 15 workbooks that we, we use around here. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the time to write that I used to. Right. But um, yeah, like for instance, tomorrow I'm going to go um, to central Pennsylvania to talk to some folks in drug court uh, about their programs. And then I do a group a week and I, I uh, talk with our clients um, kind of on an as needed basis. Okay, so you still do some some uh, counseling within the program there? Kind oh, of. yeah. Okay, great. It's not a big part of my day, but it's one of my favorite parts of my day. I bet, I bet. So, yeah, that may, and, and you used to do that more, right? So you've worked in different roles along the way. Where that, oh, yeah. Where that was more yeah. of your, uh, your job. Um, so that's what I wanted to ask you about, too. So I know how rewarding something like that can be. I was a, I was a teacher, a high school teacher for 15 years. And, um, you know, in some ways I find the jobs, you know, any kind of social service job similar in some ways where it can be very rewarding. You feel really great about what you're doing yeah. and, but also really, really difficult. Um, and I think especially in, you know, the field of addiction treatment, um, can be really hard and sad, um, at times too. Do you find yourself, as I did when I was teaching, um, taking some of that home with you uh, at the end of the day? Oh yeah, um, you'd have a, you'd have to have a heart of stone not to, to be affected by it. Um, one of the trainings that I do is on burnout for professionals, and I, that training fills up so quickly just because I hate to say this, but we we have our jobs because of human misery. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one comes to the rehab because they can't stand the happiness anymore. <laughs> you know? That's right. No, that's true. And yeah, I mean, it's every day. It's more, you know, yeah, coming, coming to work to hear from people who are uh, at, a, at maybe the worst stage of their entire life. Yeah. Um, but really, it's you know, in the end, if it works, it's the best point of their life, right? It's a, it's a turnaround. Um, oh, absolutely. But, so now, which what I've always thought. Uh, you know, thinking about putting myself in your shoes and, and having a job like that or working with addicts and alcoholics, that if I took it home with me, as I did teaching sometimes, 
and I'm an addict in recovery, that might be especially hard. That that could be something to drink about, to drink over. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, like that, that would be something I would have to, um, you know, keep my eye on at all times. Has that been part of your recovery or part of what you think about, talk with, with uh, groups or in AA or with sponsor and, and such? Oh, I, I have just the opposite reaction is that um, like when I walk into the group room and listen to folks early, early in recovery, it, it's a warning. It reminds me. Mm. Um, sometimes I forget what it was like. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll run a group and someone's telling me they're not sleeping. They're anxious. They're in a deep hole financially. You know, they're in trouble at school, their relationships, their job. And it's, it, it, I, I'm convinced that working in this field has helped me stay sober just because yeah. it's a constant reminder. It's that's a drink away. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to, to look at it. And, uh, yeah, it's certainly true. That's why, I mean, in, in, even in, in meetings in AA meetings, we, uh, most people in there, we love hearing from the newcomers one, because we can help. We feel like it's a chance for us to help, but also it is a reminder for us of what that, what it felt like in the beginning. Um, oh, yeah. and what rock bottom really was like, uh, good. Well, I think that, you know, on top of helping others that 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 your career has has gone a long way to, to help you stay in recovery too i mean you know that's a, a classic win-win situation oh yeah um yeah. go ahead no I'm, I'm immersed in in recovery yes no so that's good. yeah and, and uh you know you, you were in the field before you before you got sober right were you working uh oh yeah field? <laughs> i worked in uh, community mental health and um, I would show up hungover to do treatment groups. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was one of the things that kind of woke me up. Like, I felt like such a hypocrite. Like, I'm yeah. sitting with these people talking about mental health and I'm um, sick as a dog and can't wait to get home and get drunk. I'm just like, ugh. Yeah, that'll eat away at your conscience, won't it? Oh, it did. It yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've been doing this now for 30 plus years and um, which is again, a long time to be working in, in addiction and, and, and treatment. And from what I know uh, there's been a lot of changes in the field over that time. Uh, something while, while some things have stayed the same, of course, what have you noticed? I mean, maybe this is too big of a question, but um in simple terms, I guess, what have you noticed that has changed over that time and stayed the same as it, uh, in regards to the treatment of addiction? Oh, um, hmm. we're a lot less confrontational, which I think mm. is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, medication-assisted treatment has come a long way. Um, I, I think what hasn't changed is people. <laughs> yeah, the customers are the same, right? The, the clients yeah. remain. yeah. It's the same. It's the same enthusiasm from some that just warms your heart, and it's the same resistance from others that just breaks your heart because you, you see their potential and you know they're just. And back to the example we talked about: people who don't want to go to AA. Mm -hmm. So, some people will go to like a smart recovery, and do really well, and okay, wonderful. And then you, the same people who don't like AA will go to smart recovery and they won't like that. And then they'll try, you know, medication assisted treatment and they won't like that. And it's just, it's like, oh, you know, you, at some point you've got to see it's not the treatment system. It's you. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
um yeah and there's and there's that little addict voice or big addict voice inside oh, of you yeah. trying to find a problem with everything so that you can yeah. uh you know get back to work killing yourself you know yeah, uh, that's a good way to put it yeah <laughs> and that voice is is powerful you know it'll find find problems with, with everything um you know you mentioned a couple of times there the, the uh, medication assisted uh, treatment and uh that is something I wanted to talk about too. So my addiction was, was cocaine, uh, mainly cocaine. And it didn't, uh, you know, many of those, those drugs that people were being prescribed uh, in, in rehab with me and, and that I've known through, through the program. Um, there isn't one for, for cocaine just yet, as far as I know, but could you talk a little bit about, cause some people have no idea. I didn't know anything about it until I got to rehab for some of these drugs for, to, to treat alcoholism, especially and opiate addiction. Uh, just give kind of a brief explanation of what those what those drugs do. Oh, um, oh, now of course I'm blocking. Um, there's Revia, and I, I can't remember what the other form of it is, but um, it's um, it lowers the cravings, right, and, and makes it easier uh, for people to recover. Um, now the thing is, it's not a it's not a cure, right? You know, there is no cure, and um, you still have to be careful um, about triggers and not and taking care of yourself, but it does seem to be effective in, in reducing cravings. And I can't, right. The life of me, I'm blocking what the other form is. The yeah, no, I can't. Think, I can't think of it either at the moment. But I mean, the the general gist of it, regardless of the what what it's called, these are things that reduce cravings. And and then also what? So I'm. Some people might be familiar. This is the only one I knew about from you know from uh, before I went to rehab was. And abuse, which is the old one that used to make you oh, yeah. sick if you drank, right? Right. Um, and that does, I don't think they that's even used anymore. Um, but these are different. So there's some that maybe reduce cravings and others that also make it like, even if you drank, you wouldn't get drunk. Right. right? Even if, you know, if you've got past those cravings, but you still have to take those medications. <laughs> and so, exactly. Uh, and you yeah. still have to do all the other aspects of treating, but of treatment, but it sounds like for some people, and I know some of these people that that has been very, very helpful. Um, uh, and these advances in the medical technology, hopefully, will will uh, continue where there's another, you know, multi pronged approach to treatment. Something else we can add to the tool belt, right? Right. Exactly. Um, what about like uh, when you first started working in treatment? Um, was there sim any talk or similar talk about things like mindfulness and meditation and yoga and things like that? That feels like a new part of, of addiction treatment to me. Oh, and a wonderful part. Um, yeah, when I started, thankfully, we were getting past the whole um, overly confrontational approach. Yep. But I started on the mental health side. So our main focus was mental health. And then we dealt with addiction. So I may not have a great memory for the early days, you know, the eight, the um, early nineties mm -hmm. when I switched over to drug and alcohol, well, it'd been 20 some years ago, Sheesh. <laughs> getting old. Um, those things were kind of not seen as, um, they're not as, they weren't as mainstream as they are now. Right. But um, I really believe mindfulness is a, is a wonderful tool. I really believe meditation. I really think we we we're taking a more holistic approach, and it's wonderful. Um, you know, like I used to work with people that had um, 
serious mental illness and addiction, like schizophrenia, um, things like that. And some folks would go on their medication, they would avoid alcohol and other drugs, but they would sit on the couch and smoke all day. Mm-hmm. And it, it would just, if they didn't enjoy their lives at all. And I always thought we need to incorporate more exercise in this program. We need to do um, just more things uh, other than just not drinking. Right. And I think those things add up, you know, to, uh, again, like a multi, you know, faceted approach to it. So yeah, you know, just yeah. obviously keeping, keeping the the plug in the jug, as they say, is, yeah. is number one. But uh, if you're, if you're the rest of your life is unhealthy or unhappy, then it's the, the, the plug's going to come out a little sooner, I would say. Yeah. Um yeah, I really appreciated that 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 part of it too, and it's uh, it's been a big part of my recovery, the mindfulness uh, side of it. Um, what do you what would you say your like the your biggest challenge has been in in the on the treatment side and working um, with addicts and alcoholics and providing uh, uh, counseling and treatment? What, what's been the hardest thing for you personally? Oh, for me personally, yeah. Um, not underestimating the enemy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. um heroin is around here is just so cheap yeah every kind of pill imaginable is available um people just can go online and find all kinds of information on, on you know all kinds of things that are harmful um just watching it has been it has been difficult if you'd have told me 10 years ago how cheap heroin was going to become or how much you know how much uh, it was kind of abated a little bit, but how much opiates would be prescribed? I have no way, and mm-hmm. but it happened. Yeah, some of that you just can't you can't predict. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about the the opioid crisis. So, mm-hmm. um, in a previous episode, I spent some time talking about uh, the show Dope Sick. Did you did you watch it? Have I haven't seen it? seen it yet. Really, really powerful. But I mean, I thought I knew a little bit about that about the whole oxy. So, you know, whatever, how it all happened and how the company, you know, blew it up and knew what they were doing and continued oh, yeah. to push it and push it and push it and knew it was bad and knew it was addictive and push it and, and how it's how really, truly awful, uh, you know, the people at the top were and causing this. Um, but have you noticed that, you know, since in the last, let's say, 10 years, the like the the people coming to for treatment, more opiate users? Um, it goes in waves. Yeah. Um, alcohol will always be our biggest yep. problem, but you know, we, we do, you know, we do see more, um, opiates than we used to. Yeah. Um, unfortunately when that goes by some new, something new will. Yeah. It's never going to, right. It's not, it's not going to, we're not going to just one day, well, finally all the harmful, uh, narcotics will be gone <laughs> i don't I, I doubt that's in the future yeah it's like somebody wrecks three fords <laughs> they go out and buy a chevy <laughs> yeah you know, they're, they're, that, that's hard to take yeah, exactly exactly um okay uh i would say um maybe this is something that i think of this is more of a, a big big picture concept or, or issue about about treatment in the u.s anyway um i think it's it's pretty well researched and and um 
it's been proven pretty clearly that there's a great inequity in, in addiction treatment in this country. Um, you know, where some people get the kind of treatment I was lucky enough to, to receive at, you know, one of the greatest treatment centers in the, in the world. Um, I had terrific insurance and, uh, you know, a support system in place. And while other people spend times in treatment centers that are much, much, much different. Um, do you, uh, I guess, do you notice this? Have you noticed this in your experience? Uh, have you, have you worked on either or, you know, both sides of that? And do, is there, is there hope in the future that for, for that gap, um, took in access and quality to, to close in any way? Um, to be honest, I hope so, but I don't, I don't know enough about the politics and the money yeah. uh, to venture a guess. It's, it's been that way for as long as I've been in the system. I've always, this is just a fantasy, but I've always yeah. thought wealthy folks should go to the <laughs> toughest rehabs yep. to get a taste. And folks who've had nothing should go to the really, really nice rehabs to get a taste of the good life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's. And that would be, in a way, that's equity. You know, that's what it yeah. is. If, if, if everyone, you know, like the, the truth is, uh, sadly, that if you are poor or oppressed in, in any way, you're more likely to become addicted because yeah. of the situations they leave it. You need more, you need better treatment and more treatment, more easily available treatment. Um, yet those are the people that, that end up with the, you know, that, you know, treatment at a lower level. And that's not because people at those treatment centers aren't great. It's because they're underfunded and understaffed and all those things. Um, I've had a chance to, to see some of those places, right? I didn't, I didn't get to, uh, you know, stay. Um, but I also have talked to people who've started by going to, uh, like I went to Hazelden in, in Minnesota who started there and then later, you know, they lose their job, lose their insurance, family stops helping. And then they go <laughs> to uh, one of the ones yeah. on the other side and they've told me about, you know, man, they didn't realize how, uh, what a difference there was uh, in the service that people, people got like healthcare mm -hmm. and other ways in this country too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, all right. So you have so much valuable experience, Ken. Um, and my audience has, is um, full of a lot of uh, um, people suffering with addiction or alcoholism in every stage of recovery or maybe just thinking about um, getting help. But I also have many listeners who, who don't suffer um, with addiction or alcoholism, but maybe they, they love someone who does. Um, and so I've always, you know, I've, I've brought on people to talk about, you know, people whose brother uh, was an addict or died of an overdose or who's, you know, uh, an adult um, child of, a, of an addict. Um, but I guess I'm going to ask you, this one's kind of putting you on the spot. I'll ask you uh, it's kind of a two-part question. If you had to give one message to the addicts out there who are listening, what would that be? And then a message for the loved ones of addicts. So, you know, in simple, I guess, you know, not like this is the, the silver bullet that's going to, you know, cure all their ills, but what would you tell just a, a message of hope for the addicts that are out there listening first? Oh, um, if you don't rely on willpower, just about anybody can recover. It, if you set up your life to get rid of as much temptation as possible, you got a shot. Um, the family members, I would say, I'm going to ask, I would give them some, some advice that's impossible. <laughs> Try not to take it personally. Mm. Um, 
I, I adore my wife and kids. I do. Um, but that relationship with alcohol, I mean, it is so close. I mean, it's in every cell of your body. So, you know, until the person gets that drug out of their system, set boundaries, don't enable, but don't take it personally. It's, it's the drug talking. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, I like both of those uh, pieces of advice and um, certainly uh, you're right. How, how hard that is um, for the loved one of an addict to, to not take it personally, but, but that is probably the best advice you can give them and send boundaries. Um, okay, Ken. Well, thank you for answering all those, those questions. Mm-hmm. I know some of them are, are, are not easy. Um, and, uh, but before we wrap it up, there's a couple more quick things I like to do. Um, first of all, I want to give you a chance to, uh, be an influencer in this, uh, age of social media, etc. Um, as my audience grows, um, you know, I, I like to give recommendations and, and pass on things that, that, that I think would be interesting or things that I'm enjoying and, and what, what my guests are enjoying. So uh, tell my audience about something that you've been watching or reading or listening to lately that you would recommend to us. Don't think too hard. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be addiction related, of course. Oh, um, I just watched the Elvis movie, and it was a great example of how you can be so talented and some con man can take advantage of you. Oh, that's, I, I thought it was terrific. It was a great movie. Yeah. I think uh, it's a really good analogy for addiction. You can be the smartest, strongest, you know, best looking person in the addiction. It's a con man. Yeah, it sure is. And he and uh, Elvis ended up with, with both of those problems actually oh, he did. <laughs> in, the, in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect. That's a great, great example. Uh, okay. And, uh, Lastly, uh, this has, you, you brought it up even as one of your things that has worked for you in AA. Um, I like to finish every interview with some uh, gratitude, uh, sort of a chance for me to practice what I preach. And it uh, sounds like what well, you believe in here, too. So um, I will start and talk about something that, that I'm particularly grateful for today, and then I'll, then I'll pass it off to you. Uh, today, I am grateful for a friend of mine who I have only known uh, since I've been in recovery. So I've known him maybe six years and um, he's a long time alcoholic. Um, He has cirrhosis and now over the last, I don't know, six months or so, he's found out that he's got cancer in his liver um, as well. The days are numbered. I don't know how many, I guess all of our days are numbered, but it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's a, it was terrible, terrible news for him um, and his family and the people who, who love him. But uh, I'm realizing now since I, you know, learned about it, that I'm really grateful that I've gotten to know him. Uh, he's someone I wouldn't have known if I didn't um, find myself at rock bottom and get into recovery. Uh, our, our, our paths were, were not going to cross. I'm sure that our lives are very different. Um, they have been, and, uh, you know, we grew, we grew up in different ways and our, our whole life has been different, but really we have, we have one thing that's certainly in common and, uh, I've really enjoyed my friendship with him and his ability to remain positive and joke and laugh and have fun during all this, um, is really inspiring to me. So, I'm grateful for uh, for my friend who I guess I'll remain uh, nameless at, at this mm-hmm. moment. But um, anyway, I'm grateful for the time I 
get to spend with him. Um, mm. How about you, Ken? I'm sorry about your friend. Thank you. Um, I'm grateful my children and every new person I meet will never see me drunk if I keep doing what I'm doing. That's it's a right. wonderful feeling. Ugh, that's perfect. Perfect. Um, what a simple, perfect way to do it. I can tell you, you'd be a terrific uh, counselor. You, next time I go, I'm just kidding. I'm not going back. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no offense. I, I don't ever want to see a professional. <laughs> yes, good guy. Yeah, no this is it, buddy. We're just talking a podcast. Okay. I don't want you working for me. Yeah. Uh, but so your your patients are certainly lucky or clients I prefer. Um, so thanks again for coming on the podcast. Can I really, really, really appreciate it? I've enjoyed our talk and um, I certainly appreciate everything you're doing for um, other addicts and alcoholics out there like me. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. All right. Take care now. First of all, thanks again to Ken Montrose for coming on the show today and for sharing his experience, strength, and hope with all of us. I definitely learned a thing or two from Ken. And if you too learned something or enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It only takes a few seconds and it really goes a long way. As a matter of fact, if you leave a review, maybe I will read it right here on the podcast. Here's one from Apple Podcast that was written by Norton Nose, who wrote, The tragedy, pain, false starts, forgiveness, and above all, honesty. The book is a great read, but for those of us who struggle, it's the conversation and community we need. Lind gives us this with his humor, irreverence, and self-deprecation. Well, thanks for that, Norton Knows, and thanks for listening. I'm glad my self-deprecation brings you great joy. I'm kidding. I know what you mean. Also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to share with me about the podcast or about the book, or maybe if you'd like to be a future guest on the show, please feel free to drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. Or just spread the word to tell a friend if you have one. Or if you don't, go tell a whole bunch of strangers. Most of all, thanks for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.